I didn't want to write about myself, but what I was really interested in, invested in was teaching people about the incredible people I'd met, uh, many of whom were from the Mavericks and in, and in the United States and what I'd learned from them. This is Mike Frailer, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode of Mavs Archives. This episode features a return guest, former Maverick Chris Anstey. Chris first appeared on the show nearly four years ago, but returns to talk about his new book, Tall Tales, What the Whiteboard Never Taught Me. We also reminisce about his time in Dallas. If you're a lifelong Mavs fan, you'll absolutely love this book, and I'll post a link to it in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and now here's Chris Anstey. I just want to say thanks for meeting with me again. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I I enjoy it. I appreciate your your following. I appreciate you reaching out about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So since we've last talked, like three and a half years ago, um, I know I met you in Dallas that time too. We did. uh, We were down in McKinney. Oh, not in McKinney, down by uh, the, what is it called? The the West uh, End. West End, that's, yep. Yeah, (laughs) that was fun. I I enjoyed that day. Yeah, but uh, yeah, since then, uh, you know, I think I've done 50-something episodes with former Mavs now. And, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, and, uh, but you're the first repeat guest. So. Fantastic. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be fun. But yeah, I wanted to um, reach out and, and connect with you about, uh, about your book. You know, I've, uh, I've seen just as you've been posting on Facebook over the last year or so and reading those those passages i mean i they're just fantastic i've truly enjoyed them reading them and um i was really proud of you and excited to see that you were turning it into a book so i thought it'd be cool to one catch up with you and then two just learn about that whole process so um that's really what i i wanted to to dive right in and and catch up with you about that so um I know your book is called uh, Tall Tales, What the Whiteboard Never Taught Me, about your experiences in basketball and applying it to, to life and family and lessons you've learned. Just, you know, how, how did that whole process start for you when, when you decided to, to just to write your first book? You know what? It started in lockdown. We went into a six-month lockdown here in Australia with, with COVID. And part of what I was talking to other people about was making sure we stayed engaged and, and, and kept active and I'd never written a book. And it, to, to be honest, it started off a little bit more as a, I'll write a few short stories about what I present about in that corporate space. And I wrote the first one about a, a, a young tennis friend of mine that I grew up playing with. And um, I showed it to a few friends and they read it and I thought it was fantastic. Like, That's terrible. So I went and did it again and I went and did it again <laughs> I'd probably rewritten it four times before I posted it. And, and, and that in itself almost became the lesson because that was what basketball was and that's what professional sport is, that you keep doing things and doing them until you, until you get close to perfecting them and you're never quite satisfied. And I suppose by the time I'd written three or four short stories, there'd been enough interest in continuing in it, continuing it into a book and, I say right at the start, I never thought my journey was special. Um, I was late to basketball. I didn't want to write about myself, but what I was really interested in, invested in was teaching people about the incredible people I'd met, uh, many of whom were from the Mavericks and in in the United States and what I'd learned from them and 
how I've been able to apply that into my life and in turn how I like to share that with others and hopefully provide some level of guidance to other young athletes or young students. So it's a, it's been a wonderful project and yeah, I'm very proud that I got it finished because there was a lot to it. I probably yeah. wrote it and then had the content done in seven or eight months and then it came down to all the other boring stuff that it's not worth talking on a podcast about the cover design, right. the typesetting, all of those sort of back-end things and all I wanted to do was get it out there but there was a significant process to, to actually completing a book and actually another ex teammate of mine and ex-NBA guy Paul Shirley has written yes, a number yeah. of books and, and he was the guy who guided me through he was a guy that introduced me to a graphic designer and he was a big part of enabling me to complete this book that's really cool to hear I've actually I need to read more of his books I did read can I keep my jersey a few years ago so I enjoyed that book that he wrote but I know he's written a, a few more and uh, I think a, a new one called ball boy that I wanted to read as well he sure does he's an exceptional writer and uh it was, it, was, it, was, it was always interesting when I, I played with him in Russia mm-hmm. and Russia was the most boring, cold, tedious place that we could have chosen to play. So we really lived out of each other's pockets for a little while. And back then before social media, um, all we used to do was send group emails back home and I'd sit down and I'd write and I'd try to describe what we were going through, what Russia was like, a little bit about the basketball. And then I would read his I said, mate, can I just borrow yours and send yours on to my friends? You do it so much better than what I do. So, uh, yeah, he's been incredible. He's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, So, you know, I – uh, well, I wanted to tell you, I actually just ordered your book yesterday. I saw that it was available uh, to ship to to the U.S. So as soon as I saw that, I I placed my order yesterday. So I'm excited to read it. Um, I'm excited for you to have it. I have read what you've posted on Facebook and, you know, some of the ones that I've enjoyed or even shared with family members, um, the story where you had your emergency appendectomy while playing in Russia. Um, I sent that to my brother and my wife because they've both had appendectomies as well. And they, you know, I think it struck a chord with them just imagining having to go through that in the situation that you were in. So, um, you know, I, I just, I thought that was a, a really good, a good story and I would recommend anyone that gets your book to, to, to read that one for sure. <laughs> Obviously the story um, with Steve Nash and you know, when you detailed his work ethic and how he had to figure out a way just to survive in the NBA when he, when he got um, started was, you know, that, <clears throat> that was a really powerful story as well. But the one that, you know, that I, that I loved and that um, <clears throat> before I, I tell you about it, uh, I wanted to say that my mom knows nothing about basketball um, but my brothers and I played it our whole life, but I would say her two favorite Mavs ever are one Dirk and two is you because I showed her that story that you wrote. And, um, and now whenever she asks me about my podcast, I don't think she knows necessarily anything about your basketball career, but she'll just say, Oh, I loved that Chris Anstey story. That, that's probably a good thing that she knows very little about my basketball career. <laughs> but anytime she asks me, she'll just say, Oh, I loved that Chris Anstey story. So I wanted to let you know that that uh, story about Dirk and your daughter Izzy really struck a chord with her. So I wanted to see if you would be so kind as to share that story with my sure. listeners. Sure. Look, Dirk is someone that over the years of, yeah, he was a rookie my second year and we lived in the same apartment building uh, in Turtle Creek there. And we always got along pretty well. And he was someone that I've kept in touch with, you know, rarely, but regularly over the years. And, 
you know, one time I was speaking to him just after my daughter had made, my daughter Izzy had made her first Australian junior team. And a week before she was scheduled to leave, she, she took a charge in a game, uh, landed on her back and fractured one of her vertebrae and, mm. and put her out for six or eight weeks. And, you know, as a parent, it's a hard thing sometimes to, you know, all you want to do is hug your kids and, and, and have them be happy. And, you know, it was one thing I couldn't do here. And, you know, she just missed her first Australian team. And I happened to be speaking to Dirk and I told him about it. And, you know, for all of the stories and however great Dirk is on a basketball court, I still love telling this one because to me it represented what I remembered about him before he became the Dirk Nowitzki we all now know. But a week later, a, a, an envelope arrived or a package arrived in our mail address to my daughter and I flipped it over. I, I, I thought Izzy had stolen my credit card and gone and ordered something online. <laughs> and I flipped it over and it was from Dirk and it was from his home address and I, I handed it to my daughter and the, the look on her face when she saw his name because I've told enough stories to my own kids about my time in Dallas and, and Dirk was already Izzy's favourite player. She ripped open this package and Dirk had sent across the singlet that he'd played in and written to Izzy. He'd signed it with a message to, to make sure she kept working and she'd have another opportunity. And he didn't need to do that. Um, he chose to do that. And he was able to do something with that gesture that I was unable to do, and that was to put a smile on my daughter's face and refocus her. And so I've been forever grateful for Dirk doing that. And as for my daughter... You know, Dirk went from being her favourite player to catapulting him to almost the only NBA player she admired. And anyway, she went and made another Australian team and she did well enough that she had her college visits. And so I was travelling around the United States with her visiting colleges and we'd been to, uh, we'd been to South Carolina, we'd been to Miami, we'd been to Michigan. And we're on our way down, she was visiting uh, TCU. Mm-hmm. And... As we're in the Detroit airport, I said, well, look, when we get to Fort Worth, why don't we get in an Uber? I'd love to show you where I lived. I'd love to maybe drive you around Dallas, maybe even introduce you to a friend of mine or a couple of friends and just do that really dorky dad-daughter thing. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, no, I'm tired. I'm, no, I might just stay in the room. I said, look, it would really mean a lot to me if, if we could do this. And she told me, no, again, look, I'll let her sleep. So she slept on the airplane. We got back to the hotel. I thought, I'll try again here. Izzy, look, it would really mean a lot to me if we could go, let's just get an Uber. I know you're tired. She said, no, look, that Netflix, I'm going to get online, talk to my friends online, watch something and get asleep. Is one last time, no, and she was getting angry by this stage. I don't want to go to Dallas. I just want to sit in my room. I want to get room service. I want to put Netflix on. And I looked her dead in the eye, and part of me didn't want to do this until the next day. Um, but I looked at dead in the eye and said, that's a real shame because Dirk was really looking forward to meeting you. And her <laughs> jaw dropped and she looked, she said, what? I said, yeah, that friend of mine will speak, I was talking about, that's Dirk. You know, Dirk invited you and I over to his house for dinner. And I've never seen an 18-year-old girl, her mood changed, flew up the lift. She was back down in nice clothes. I don't know where she got her makeup from. She was ready to go. And we got in the Uber and, and we drove. And, you know, when she heard Dirk's voice on the intercom, she was like a little baby. She was so excited. She, 
Look, we ended up sitting in Dirk's living room. We had a couple of beers. We told stories. Izzy was a part of that conversation, you know, three or four hours worth. And everything from Dirk's journey to a few shooting tips to, to listening to Izzy's story insofar as that they still keep in touch a little bit. And Dirk still asks after her. But she had this incredible night that she still rates as one of the best nights of her life. And the interesting part for me and the part that I do like to share is that she said no to the best night in her life five times before I actually convinced her to do it. And it's what young kids and teenagers and even us as adults so often do is that we say no to things assuming we know that there's going to be a negative outcome or we take the easy way. And, you know, I did a few things in my career, certainly not to the level of Dirk or or many of the, the mavericks that you've spoken to, but what I was able to achieve, I achieved by getting off the couch and going and doing things when I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, getting on an aeroplane and flying to Dallas when I'd only been playing basketball for four years was a big deal for me and it was really, Absolutely. really uncomfortable at the start. Um, but it just became this really great life lesson that I, I always believed, but now I had a really great story about it, about my daughter who I love more than anyone in the world and somebody who I got to know a little bit, spent some time with and admire as much as most people in this world with what he was able to achieve in his basketball career. So um, when people ask me for a Dirk Nowitzki story, I don't talk about what he did on the court. I always talk about how he was able to positively impact my daughter and provide her one of the best nights of her life. That, yeah, that is such a, a great look at how Dirk didn't allow his fame to change him. And um, I just think that's such a, a fantastic lesson and something that really resonated with me. And I knew, and like I said, my mom has become a fan of yours now and I knew that she would love that story. So I think it would resonate with uh, really any parent who wants to uh, teach their, their kids a, a lesson about, you know, just wanting to try things and, you know, not always expecting it to be something that, you know, might not be what you think it's going to be. And um, it could end up being one of the best nights of your life. So I think that's such a, a fantastic story about Dirk and the way you wrote it was great. So anyone that gets that book, I, I definitely, uh, I think they'll enjoy that story for sure. And you know, the thing is, it doesn't even have to be the best night of your life. You might end up being right. You might have a horrible time, but you never, know yeah. who you're, you never know who you'll meet. You never know what's out there. And even some of the toughest nights we've had, we still look back and we're pretty appreciative that we weren't just sitting on the couch. I, I don't tell many stories. I never, I certainly never wrote any in the book about a night I just sat on the couch and watched TV. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I know there's that story and there's um, that, that Nash story that I thought was great, but there's got to be a lot of other stories in, in that book too. Are there any um, particular ones that uh, you think your readers will really enjoy? Yeah, look, I really enjoyed writing about Don Nelson and how he really embraced being different and, in today's day and age, there's so many people conform to what they see as normal and try to fit in where Nelly was always great for, for all of us about standing out and being different and trying things that other people thought were a little bit crazy. And sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. But he always encouraged uniqueness. And uh, I think that carries over into life as much as it does on a basketball court. And, you know, what part of maybe the most enjoyable part through writing this book was actually reconnecting with the people I was writing about because I didn't want to put pen to paper or write in my computer, of course, and not be accurate. And, you know, sometimes our memory distorts a little bit over time. So I had a fantastic visit with Donnie Nelson and spoke to him a lot. And 
you know, it was sad to hear that he just left the Mavericks and is no longer with, with the franchise, but he's been a, an incredible relationship for me over the years, even since I left. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Steve Nash, I enjoyed writing about the Chicago Bulls in my year there when pretty much everyone with any ability left. Um, and, you know, Tony Kukoc became our franchise player. Mm-hmm. And we had a very young team of people trying to take the opportunity to step up in a role that was maybe just outside their capability. And it wasn't the recipe for a successful basketball environment. And probably many people would agree that the Bulls didn't quite get it right for, for quite a while after the dynasty broke up. So that was a really interesting basketball experience. And, you know, maybe one that I, I did enjoy writing was, and one maybe not many people know was that, uh, I was actually Leon Rose's first ever NBA client. And Leon, oh. of course, is now the, the president of the New York Knicks and had never represented an NBA player before. And I got onto him through a player named Rick Brunson, who he was friends with and played for Temple. And, yeah, of course, Jalen. Jalen's uh, dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jalen's dad. Yeah. And so just through the relationship with Rick Brunson and Mike Dunlap, I met Leon. And I'd spoken to a few other bigger name agents, but... I trusted Leon. The minute I spoke to him, he didn't promise anything he couldn't deliver. He knew exactly where I sat. And, you know, back then it was a big deal to fly from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, all the way to Melbourne, Australia, just to meet with someone. But that's what he did. And I signed with him. I never had another agent over the course of my entire career and I wouldn't have had it any other way. And it's been, it's really weird to say I'm proud of what he's done because he always guided me, not vice versa, but... (laughs) it makes me really happy to see that that level of trust that I had in him has been reflected by other players of much higher significance than what I am, even to the extent where he then went and ran CAA basketball and now he's president of the New York Knicks. And I think most people can already start to see a shift in culture at the New York Knicks from what, from what it's been over the last decade or so. And I have no doubt whatsoever that that's got to do with Leon leading from the top and making sure he's got the right people working for him. Wow. Yeah, that's really great. I did not know you were his first client. So that, that that's cool to learn. And uh, I'm excited to, to read more about that as well. Um, where can uh, fans of yours and fans of the Mavericks find your book? If you're looking for it, I'd love, of course, for a few people in Texas to have a read. Uh, yeah. the web, my website, chrisanstey.com.au. Don't forget the .au. That's us down in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Just follow, follow the tab to Tall Tales and there's a, an easy checkout link. I'd love to send a couple over. And as you know, Mike, last time I was in Dallas, we caught up, we had a beer. Um, mm-hmm. I love getting back. Um, for someone who only played there two years and not many people would describe my two years as being extraordinarily <laughs> successful, but I had some great highlights. I met some great people and I still consider Dallas my home away from home just after those two years with the people I met. So um love getting back there. And if anyone's having a look or needs something, wants to buy a book to read, I'd love to see a couple of Dallas addresses pop up on the orders. Absolutely. I, th- I think you'll be getting some. And um, your two years in Dallas did get you a little cameo in The Last Dance last year. I know. It's a pretty good reflection of what your career has become when there's a six-episode documentary and I... In the introduction, there's a three-second snippet, and that's all anyone talks about. Yeah, yeah. My, my daughter gets my friend saw you on the last dance, and my son, like that's it. All, all I get is me almost 
thinking about throwing an elbow at Dennis Rodman. And <laughs> I said, look, I went to Russia and I played in Europe and I won a couple of championships here, but all they get is a three-second documentary <laughs> of the last dance. Uh, I thought it was cool, though, because I'd seen that clip a lot, but never that angle of it. So that was just like a new, new viewpoint of it. So I, I thought you, it was you, neat. You know what? It, that, that was actually one of the – that was my highlight of being in Dallas on the yeah. court was that game. And I think a lot of Mavs fans still remember the year back in 1998 in March where we beat the Chicago Bulls. Um, and I wrote about it. And it, that was a story that I loved reliving. I loved going back and watching the film. Um, I remembered, remembered it almost possession by possession. Um, remember the, the, the number of emotions I felt warming up and looking down the other end of the court and seeing Michael Jordan, knowing that I never played against him before and I never would again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just that surreal feeling. I, I shot two of the worst free throws. I, the first time I touched the ball on offense, I, for some Hubert Davis raised up into a jump shot. And I thought, I need to touch the ball before, before Nelly drags me. So I went to the offensive glass and, and Hubert hit me thinking I was cutting and I went up to dunk it. And I got fouled and I ended up under the basket as most people do when you get fouled trying to dunk it. And the mistake I made, everybody always preaches at the free throw line, stick to your routine, block out the surroundings. I made the mistake of looking around. And as I looked around, as I walked to the free throw line, there's, there's Michael Jordan, there's, uh, there's Dennis Rodman, there's Scotty Pippen. Hey, look, Phil Jackson over in the corner, Steve Kerr. <laughs> And, and in my mind, it, it occurred to me, these, these guys are the best team in maybe professional sporting history. And they're probably thinking, what, first of all, who the hell is that? And what the <laughs> hell is he doing on the same court as us? And yeah. I just felt more than ever in that moment that every single set of eyes was just thinking, who the hell is this kid? And I shot two of the worst free throws I've ever shot in my life. Um, and in a basketball sense, that one particular game, that was almost rock bottom because I felt like I'd blown my chance to play against the Chicago Bulls. But Nelly kept me on. And from that moment on, once I bottomed out in that particular sense, I let the game come to me a little bit. And, you know, I hit a jump shot. I had to dunk and got that. You know, that thing with Dennis Rodman was actually in overtime. And I tell people I love the fact that I was on the court in overtime. Um, to try to be a part of a team that closed out a game against the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, we only won 20-odd games that year, but we still won that one. You can't take it away from us. You know, Michael Jordan's not calling me for a rematch. And so I'm, I'm no <laughs> doubt I'll retire having never lost to Michael Jordan <laughs> in a Chicago Bulls uniform. And I've, I've frantically looked for a list over that over the years, and it exists. And there aren't that many people on it. So if I'm going to take anything, I might just, add, I might just take that list. And yeah. uh, although it means nothing to many people, it's something that's not going to change. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, I've just got um, one last question. And um, this is something I, I've done in most of my episodes, but I started doing it after we did ours a few years ago. Um, so what I have in front of me right now is a list of the 97-98 Mavs, so your rookie year, yep. there's 18 names on it. I wanted to see how many of them you could name. And they, some of these guys, I think one of them just played maybe one game, So, but they all played at least one regular season game your rookie year. Yeah, yeah. What, what, I, I, I won't go through the whole list, but I, I do remember most of them. I remember you know, Khalid Reeves, Eric Strickland, Hubert Davis, Sean Bradley, and 
of course, our thoughts with Sean at, at the moment. Yes, he's, he's doing yes. it really, really tough. Uh, yeah, Mike Finley, uh, uh, who else was there? Cedric Sabalos might have come in late. Uh, the, the other draft pick, Leon Smith, I think his name was. That that was a name where I'll never forget him turning up in a, uh, turning up to training. Don Nelson putting us on the line, and Leon looking back at Nelly saying, "I'm not running, you run." Although you can't do that. Yeah. Um, but but one of the names that I do remember, and, and one of my and I didn't write a story about it, but maybe I will one day. Was Eric Riley. And I had a game against the Boston Celtics not long before we played the Bulls. And I had 26 points. Mm-hmm. And my family was in town. Uh, a few of my friends were in town. My brother went to the University of North Texas. He was in the stands. And we went out for a meal, a reasonably big group of us afterwards, um, down to the West End. And halfway through the night a a bottle of wine came to the table and the waitress gave it to me and said this is from the gentleman across the other side and he was leaving and it was eric riley and with the message to say congratulations on such a wonderful game i enjoyed watching it now that in itself as a gesture is really nice but when you think about it eric and i were fighting for the same minutes the same spot we're essentially fighting for each other's contracts and i've never ever forgotten that and wow as I move forward in my career, that's the sort of veteran I've always wanted to be to the younger players on the team. That's not about me. And maybe that's in some level why I wrote this book and it's certainly why I started coaching is that I wanted to share that type of selfless mentality with people that I coach because it just resonates and it's what I remember of all the things. That one stands out. And, you know, you mentioned your mum for the reason that's got nothing to do with basketball, appreciating maybe one or two things that I've said, mm-hmm. I'll always appreciate Eric Riley for that, not so much as the gesture, but for what it meant. Um, so, yeah, look, AC Green, of course, is on that team as well. Uh, Bubba Wells was on the team. How am I? I'm, I think I'm doing okay. You're doing pretty good. Um, missing a few. You're missing. Was, was Mercep on the team that year? Or yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Martin, Martin and I have remained good friends. I played with him in Russia after our time in Dallas. Uh, who, who else have I forgotten? Um, let's see. Dennis Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, Dennis Scott had a tattoo across his forearm, BTL, yeah, behind the line. And, oh. um, <laughs> I didn't know Martin, he had that. Martin used to always, you know, in his Estonian accent, he goes, BTL, bacon, tomato, lettuce, you got a sandwich on your arm? <laughs> so you did Dennis Scott, yeah, like, yeah. Samaki um, Walker, if I haven't mentioned him yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Adrian Caldwell, who I think might have just been there one game. Yeah, he had a bad knee the year and didn't play much as, as well, uh, I believe. Yeah. Um, Kevin Ollie. Of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, Sean Respert. Don't remember much of Sean, I'll be honest. Yeah, and then um, Kurt Thomas, who was pretty injured. Um, yeah, well, Kurt, Kurt Thomas, of all the people, was behind closed doors, was nothing like what you'd imagine him to be. He was such a great mentor and teacher to us young kids. He always took the time uh, to spend honing some of the craft in what we were trying to do. He was absolutely fantastic. And uh, you may have mentioned him, but... Forever, I might have missed it. Uh, Robert Pack, but I think that's that's all. Uh-huh, ice Pack, he was always injured. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was uh, an assistant coach uh, somewhere that maybe just got knocked out. Was he at 
he might be with coach of the league. I believe he is, and I can't remember. I'm I'm fairly confident he is. I want to say it might be with the Wizards. Um, okay, but uh, I I could be wrong, but I think it might be Washington. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. I, we had a we had some fun. We we had a great time. Then of course the next year, Steve and Dirk came. We had right. the lockout. Uh, yeah. You know, we had a, an extended preseason together or off season together, and I know it's it's fun memories. It, it's fun to it's fun to throw some names around. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I always enjoy that. So. Um, like, thank you so much for giving me some of your, your time tonight. I got, I'm glad we got to catch up a little bit and uh, happy to hear things are going well for your family. And, and I saw that uh, online that your daughter finally got to go start her college basketball career. So she, I'm really she, excited she, for your family. She, That's um, great. I couldn't be more excited. She finally, after all of COVID, she, had, she got delayed a year, but she's at UCLA. She gets on court next week. She's, back, she's already in class and it's, we're all just so excited for her. She did it so hard for a year, not knowing what was happening and all she wanted to do was get over to the States and start her collegiate career. Now she has, but um, hey, Mike, thank you so much. It's great to speak to someone in Dallas. It's always great to reconnect. Like I said, it's, it's a home away from home and to anyone who listens, thanks so much for, for listening. Thanks for the support and I'll be back in Dallas one day and I'll, uh, I'll make sure I catch you for beer again. Yeah, that sounds great, Chris. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. You or too. Have a good Thanks day. You're, you're a day ahead yeah, of me. So have a good, good day. Yeah. Day Thanks, yeah. Mike. <laughs> All right. See ya.